This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from experts across the U.S. Ringler Associates, celebrating 35 years of successfully helping injured people and their families. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, your host, the head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations. Thanks again for joining us. And today we're coming to you from the 2011 annual Ringler Associates meeting out here in sunny Newport Beach, California. And for all of us back east, it's quite a nice respite to be out here. Well, you can find every Ringler Radio show on our website, ringlerassociates.com, and on the Legal Talk Network at legaltalknetwork.com. Well, medical devices and pharmaceutical drugs undergo rigorous testing and must receive pre-market approval from the FDA before they're available to the public. But all too often, defects and severe side effects that may or may not have been latent during testing and trials create hazardous products. So our conversation today is going to focus on the most current litigation against the makers of some of the most dangerous drugs and medical devices. And to help me with that discussion... My co-host today will be Ringler colleague and Minneapolis, Minnesota native, Amory Von Bank. And Amory is an elected member of the Ringler Board of Directors and our associate up there in Minneapolis, where she manages operations in the upper Midwest. She's had over 20 years of experience in both the insurance and legal fields and has focused exclusively on structured settlements since joining Ringler back in 1999. Amory specializes in the resolution of all types of personal injury claims, including medical malpractice, product liability, workers' comp, employment disability, and transportation cases. Welcome, Anne-Marie, to Ringler Radio. <laughs> Thanks, Sounds sir. like you're handling an awful lot of different <laughs> cases out there. Well, that's good to hear. Our special guest today is James Capritz, the principal in the law firm of Capritz & Associates in Newport Beach, California. Jim has 30 years of experience in consumer fraud, business and complex litigation, including class actions with an emphasis on medical devices and pharmaceutical drug claims. He's been involved in the Pfizer heart valve litigation since 1985 and has resolved hundreds of individual claims, along with being involved in the final negotiations and completion of the Model Global Settlement in 1992. Well, Jim, sounds like a, quite, a, quite an experience you've had. Welcome to Ringler Radio. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. And I'm glad we're out in Newport Beach. This is where you live, though, so you're, you're used to all this it beautiful is. It is. We're spoiled. <laughs> you sure are. Well, Jim, let's get started with uh, Johnson & Johnson's massive litigation involving the Depew faulty hip implant. Uh, what's going on with that litigation? Well, that's probably the most significant device claim that's out there uh, at the current time, and it could be a long-standing one. A significant number of implants, over 90,000 apparently. Uh, recently, as far as litigation is concerned, there was an MDL formed in the federal courts that's going to be based in Ohio before Judge David Katz. Mm -hmm. uh, Judge Katz has experience with... Uh, dealing with MDL proceedings, and he's been very successful in processing these matters to a conclusion. Uh, but basically, uh, Dupuy is a company that's uh, owned by Johnson & Johnson, one of the largest healthcare product companies in sure. the world. Um, and what has happened with these implants is basically the bonding comes apart, uh, and unfortunately, um, that causes all sorts of 
issues for the patients who are wearing these. Uh, there's also a long-term possibility of what we refer to as metal-on-metal uh, -metal, uh, problems. That is, that uh, the way they were put together, chips in the metal seem to be coming off the patients, although they've only recently been implanted, and this could cause a long-term problem for people who are wearing these, which would mean that they would have to undergo more painful and dangerous surgery all over again. Um, it's believed at the current time that 12 to 13 percent of the Depew hip replacements fail within five years. Mm -hmm. um, the percentage could go higher as more people become aware of the situation. Uh, according to the company's fourth quarter report, Johnson & Johnson, a parent company, uh, they took an after-charge uh, deduction of $922 million, uh, charge for potential litigation settlements, a recall of the Jibu, uh, hip implants, an increase in the company's liability reserve, and other costs uh, that they are linking to the Jibu hip uh, recall. So they obviously have quite a anticipation that there's going to be uh, pretty pretty big litigation going on here in this regard. What what would you say the number of, of claimants is, is potentially out there for this product? Well, that's what we're suggesting. They, they've implanted 90,000. It could be not likely at all, but a good percentage of them, maybe up to 20%. Uh, currently, it's running 12 to 13%, but it wouldn't be unusual to see a 20% uh, number, and that would be very significant. And this could happen over a period of, of time, uh, particularly because of this metal-on-metal, metal, which causes a condition known as metallosis. Um, and that's a uh, danger to the patient as well as the uncomfort and uh, problems that they have to have if they redo the surgery. So, so these lawsuits, what is the allegation that's going to be made in the litigation against the Pew? Was it a, a, a faulty product design? Was it a materials defect? What, what exactly is, is the essence there? Well, the, the investigation into the problem goes beyond uh, what we know at the current time. It's just currently getting underway, but it, there definitely will be design issues and manufacturing issues. Um, we're going to talk a little later in this show, hopefully, about preemption. And it, what we're talking about now is the type of problems that they're having with the device uh, could mean whether or not the company is protected under the federal doctrine of, of preemption. So mm -hmm. we'll have to see how that all uh, works out. We're not certain at this point in time what those problems but are. But for the audience out there listening who uh, may have loved ones or others uh, even heard about this, this product uh, out there at all. In fact, my wife had a double hip <laughs> replacement a few years ago, but it wasn't with a, a Depew, so she's been doing pretty well. But but for those that may have had the, uh, some relationship to the product, what would be the injuries, what would be the manifestation of some of the, the issues that they might be looking at right now? Well, uh, good question, and uh, there are quite a few. There's a plethora of them, if you will, but uh, they can do some blood tests, or the doctor's office might do some blood tests to see if there's any uh, evidence of metal uh, that is present. Chromium and cobalt are the two metals that we're concerned about. It could be clicking, popping, or grinding in the area of the hip where it's implanted. Uh, it could come loose. You could simply, the device would come loose and you'd have difficulty walking. Walking uh, could be dislocation. There can be a fracture of the bones, uh, a loosening of the hip joint the implant itself, um, difficulty in walking, pain, wow. swelling, or discomfort. A lot, a lot, a lot quite of a, things. Quite a few. Yeah, quite, quite a few things. So, so let, let me bring full circle with the, the pew. What, what tended to be the, the catalyst for uh, 
all of these things coming to the fore, was there just an alarming number of, of failure rates that people were reporting in that, that caused the Johnson & Johnson to put that the reserve up for litigation and all that? Has the the litigation process begun on this in earnest on, on these claims? Yes, right. It's, it's uh, just as I mentioned, the MDL has just recently formed, but litigation has been on file for some months. Uh, but what brought it to the head was that many patients uh, within five years of the implant have suffered one or more of these conditions we're talking gotcha. about, and many have had to have their I mean, the hip implant replaced. Uh, which has caused attention to the problem. That's a pretty alarming failure rate, I would say. <laughs> it is indeed. Totally unacceptable. Yeah. Another medical device litigation receiving much attention involves knee implants. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, there are two now that are current. Uh, several have, uh, Saltser, for example, a manufacturing company, uh, has had problems and resolved their problems. Encore, another uh, Texas uh, concern, had problems, and they, they still do have some uh, incidental problems, but they've cleaned up most of the litigation involving that particular manufacturer. But the current time, uh, Zimmer has two. Uh, which is a very large uh, replacement uh, operation for uh, knees and knee implants, and it's a developing claim. Um, there's uh, reports of pain, loosening of the implant, and failure of the replacement knees. Um, in March of 2010, data was presented by a group of prominent knee surgeons indicating nearly 9% of patients examined after two years required revision knee surgery, and 36% showed signs of loosening of the artificial knee. Um, so it, it, the Senate is investigating this situation. Senator Grassley, of, a Republican of uh, Iowa, has, is making demands of the company. Its, it's the brand name is Next Gen Knee Replacement System. Um, so the uh, Senate Finance Company is doing their own investigation while the FDA is receiving a lot of complaints. You know, Jim, one of the things I was, I was going to ask you about is you see a lot, in uh, even in airline magazines, there, there are doctors out there advertising uh, knee replacement uh, processes that are that are somewhat i guess controversial are, are you in your in your world of litigation especially with these kinds of cases are you kind of monitoring some of those uh, activities some of those procedures that people that some of the doctors are now talking about partial knee replacements and metal bonding to the knees and there seems to be quite a quite a few different uh, replacement therapies or replacement uh, uh, fixes that are out there how are you monitoring some of those areas? Well, that's a good question, Larry. Uh, we constantly try to keep up of what's going on and what's been reported uh, for any defective devices to the FDA. Uh, we are constantly monitoring the Internet and, and Medical Alert and certain other uh, key words on the Internet that will let us know what is being reported and what the types of issues there are, there are out there. These devices have done wonderful things for many people, both the hips and knees, um, but unfortunately some manufacturers rush in, uh, them to market and they're not ready uh, or they're, they're uh, uh, problematic and they need to be replaced. And that's, that's a difficult and dangerous situation for the patient. Interesting. And how are how are the manufacturers responding to these claims? Well, uh, Anne-Marie, they are responding in various ways, depends on the manufacturer, but many of them have taken a position that they try to resolve these on a one-on-one -on -one basis. They'll go to the physician uh, or the orthopedic specialist with whom they've been dealing and uh, suggest that uh, they are ready to make a fair settlement and pay for the revision surgery. Uh, to the patient, 
unfortunately, their concept of what a fair settlement is and what ours might be, knowing uh, from reality what settlements have been made in the past, varies often. Uh, but they do tell the docs, they tell people not to, they don't need a lawyer. A lawyer is going to take most of their fees and uh, cost and, and uh, you know, will let us handle it. Um, and some of them go along with them because they receive certain perks along the way. Um, but uh, many do try to do it that way until this, for example, with the Depew, it blows out of proportion to their being able to handle it on a one-on-one yeah. basis. And yeah, the lawyer's exactly, getting involved. Exactly. And then, then the class action process takes over. Starts, and then, it does. Yeah. And, and, then, and then the payment into the fund and, uh, and, and on we go. Exactly. Talk about uh, a settlement that was reached recently with Medtronic. Uh, I think that was faulty defibrillation lead wires into the heart area. I mean, what, tell, tell me about that and, and what role you might have played in all that. Well, the, uh, the settlement is still a, um, in court. It's, it's, it's not uh, finalized at this point in time in the sense that uh, uh, the attorneys, and there are many involved uh, with the patients all over the U.S., uh, have to turn in releases from their clients saying that they have read the documentation, they're satisfied with the settlement, they'll accept it. Um, right now, the number that Medtronic is requiring to say that they're ready to close the settlement has not yet been met. So that process is going on as we speak. We have a young lawyer back in Minnesota uh, working on a project uh, just this week. Uh, but uh, it was a major issue uh, where lead wires leading from defibrillators to the heart um, have proven to be defective and they have to be taken out if there's no fatal or serious injury that comes from the defect. Um, and the company entered into a settlement uh, for which we are uh, very uh, appreciative and we respect their decision there because there was litigation and there was uh, in federal district court in the Minnesota area. And the judge uh, ruled in a case that uh, preemption uh, was in play and that there was no legal claim because of this preemption. As I say, we can talk about that a little later. Um, but the company, not, even though the matter was on appeal to the A Circuit Court of Appeal, um, the company did elect to go ahead and enter into the settlement. Uh, surprised uh, many of us, pleasantly surprised us, but I think it made for very good public relations for them and working with their various doctors. Was was the amount of the settlement uh, physically paid into a qualified settlement fund as of yet, or has that happened? That's in the process of happening. I got you. And so once that happens, you're still going to be working on the details of the individual claimants to make sure they reach that threshold number be where the settlement really takes Precisely. it. Precisely. And yeah, we're exactly. on a plaintiff steering committee that um, helped make those decisions to put this together. Exactly. Right. Jim, let's move on to some of the biggest pending pharmaceutical issues uh, mm -hmm. right now. The FDA says the drug... Uh, sold under the name of Darvaset and Darvon is connected to potentially fatal heart rhythm abnormalities. Can you tell us more about this drug and the litigation that surrounds it? Well, yes, this is another breaking news type of de development. This uh, litigation originated uh, principally in November when the FDA issued a recall of the drug uh, of the drugs. Um, Darvaset started in, and Darvon uh, started being used uh, as a pain reliever in 1957, so some time ago. Um, there have been concerns about this drug with some uh, public health people, such as Public Citizens, which does tremendous work out of Washington, D.C. That's one of Ralph Nader's uh, organizations. 
Um, and in, indeed, in 1976, the public citizens group petitioned the FDA to withdraw the drug because of the difficulties um, that were being caused. Principally, it can cause toxicity in a very uh, easy manner, if you will, uh, and that has led to many deaths. Uh, youngsters and oldsters, if you will, who decided that uh, suicide was the best way to go uh, for them, uh, used it for that purpose as well. And some was just accidental overdosing. Darva said is nothing but aspirin combined with uh, the drug that's principally used in Darvon. But uh, that litigation is just now underway. It's, it's, uh, MDL has been petitioned for. Uh, the MDL panel of judges has not yet ruled on what court or what judge will be handling it. Um, it's basically a matter of the electrical impulses of the heart being adversely affected, uh, which can lead to heart attacks, strokes, death. Uh, so it's significant litigation. Uh, at this time, you know, Jim, it sounds like you're going to be a busy, busy guy for a while with all this, uh, all this litigation. Well, there's always, it seems, some, uh, some activity, and and most of the time, uh, significant uh, calling for the trial lawyer's assistance. No, no uh, question about uh, it. And it, it's like the old situation, like uh, people don't like police to give tickets, et cetera, but when you're in trouble, who do you call? That's, that's <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And so, you know what? And I understand people are calling also about another drug, uh, Accutane. Accutane, I, I believe, was used to treat severe acne, but also caused some pretty awful side effects in many people. So tell us about uh, the litigation uh, going on around Accutane. Well, Accutane was a very popular drug uh, for a very long period of time. It was only recently pulled out of the marketplace. And its principal purpose was to um, cure acute acne situation, like with teenagers. Yeah. Uh, and it did do that. Unfortunately, it had side effects. And uh, one of the big ones is inflammatory uh, bowel disease, which can cause all sorts of nasty repercussions and, and even be life-threatening under certain circumstances. Um, so uh, as a result, there's been a flurry of uh, activity and litigation. Uh, there is an MDL in Accutane. It's based uh, in Florida, in the Tampa area, before a judge named uh, James Moody. Um, and uh, there's state... Uh, court actions in several states, but principally in the state of New Jersey where the manufacturer is located. Uh, and there have been several trials to date, uh, principally by a Pensacola, Florida attorney by the name of Mike Cook, who has done a fabulous job of getting verdicts in about five cases, bellwether type of cases. Uh, but the problems are acute, and you will see or hear marketing efforts by attorneys routinely about uh, looking for people who uh, have had adverse effects from Accutane. So it's another one of the breaking news uh, type of uh, torts. You know, there are so many drugs out there we're talking about right now, but Fosamax is another multi-billion dollar selling drug causing a lot of problems for a lot of people. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the lawsuits related to jaw problems? Well, yes. I mean, Fosamax is a drug developed, I believe, by Merck, a large German pharmaceutical company, uh, basically used to treat bone conditions such as osteoporosis in older uh, patients. Um, unfortunately, um, it, there have been several adverse effects, uh, and one of the major ones, and I actually have... Uh, a retired uh, office manager that had this happen to her. Um, it it 
makes the bone somewhat brittle, and she broke her femur. She's a senior citizen at this point in time, uh, and um, it, we we believe it was caused by by this drug. It's just just recent development in our own personal experience. Um, but there, this is another MDL type of proceeding, uh, which has been not. Uh, recently brought to the attention of the lawyers and public, but over the last few years it has. And the bellwethered or trial type, type of cases uh, are still being held. Uh, so the plaintiffs have won some, the defendants have won some. So there's no definitive uh, role or direction that the litigation is going, and there's been no general settlement of these types of claims at this time. You know, one of the things that... Uh our audience knows, I'm sure, because they see it on television a lot, are, are the advertisements, as you mentioned before, by uh, certain litigators trying to uh, inform the public about certain defects in drugs and if they've had that defect to, to, to get in touch. Uh, is that is that the way that most lawyers now are trying to reach the the potential uh, injured parties in these cases the through through the through the medium like that? What else? How else are you reaching these potential plaintiffs out there? Well, uh, word of mouth, of course, is always uh, one way, but uh, the um, current situation is such that what is developing is mostly uh, uh, through the internet. Uh, uh, and uh, that's uh, something that's developing and likely to be even uh, more used. People have a problem, they'll put, uh, you know, they have personal injury lawyer, or they can type in Fosamex lawyer, right. uh, all sorts of keywords, and find people. But still, um, marketing through television or video, this society is so video-oriented, um, that it's still very popular, as you can tell from the number of ads yeah. you see in here. Yeah. And so that's a, a big a way of marketing for many different uh, lawyers across the country. Exactly. Well, let's take a quick break right now and uh, come back in a minute with lots more on the current medical device litigation and pharmaceutical drug claims. Uh, and there seem to be quite a few. Uh, we'll be back here with Jim right after a couple of words on Ringler Radio. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates. Quite simply, the undisputed leader in structured settlements for 35 years. Ringler Radio is celebrating its sixth year right here on the Legal Talk Network, produced by broadcast professionals. Ringler Associates, the only broker you need. Listen to all the Ringler Radio shows. Just go to ringlerassociates.com or legaltalknetwork.com and click on Ringler Radio and choose a topic. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in the settling of physical injury claims. Experience counts. Over $23 billion in structures benefiting 166,000 injured individuals and their families. And one of the few companies that truly enjoys the trust of all parties in the settlement process. Did you know you can download Ringler Radio to your iPod? Just go to iTunes and subscribe to the Legal Talk Network. It's free. Did you know Ringler Radio is one of the top three rated shows in iTunes? Thanks to all of our listeners who download all the Ringler Radio shows. We invite you to listen to other shows on the Legal Talk Network. It's free at www.legaltalknetwork.com. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, 
I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Thank you for joining us. My co-host today is Anne-Marie Von Bank from the Ringler office in Minneapolis. And our special guest is attorney Jim Capritz, a veteran of mass tort litigation in Newport Beach, California. And we're discussing the long list of current medical device litigation and pharmaceutical drug claims. And uh, Jim, there are quite a few of them. But let's continue our conversation with the details on the drug Lavaquin and the whole issue of ruptured Achilles tendons. That sounds, uh, ouch, that sounds like it hurts. It does. And uh, I think um, the uh, company uses the name Levaquin, um, but uh, it's been around for a while. It's an antibiotic popular one. Uh, is, uh, the litigation is uh, congregated in uh, John R. Thunheim's courtroom in uh, Minneapolis uh, as an MDL. There's been one bellwether trial on that, and it went for the plaintiff, who was an 82-year-old man who suffered uh, a, a torn uh, Achilles heel. Um, and that's a painful thing to sure happen. Is. Yeah. He was awarded uh, 700 in actual damages and a million one in punitive damages. So that kind of stung. That's a J&J product along with author uh, Arthro McNeil Jensen, who I think did the marketing of the drug. Um, there are about 2,500 claims filed. It's not as big as some of these other claims uh, uh, t- tend to be, um, but uh, it's real. Uh, it means older patients over 60 or more at risk, those taking steroids and recipients of kidney, heart, or lung transplants are likely to suffer. But this drug was, uh, like Darvon, very popular and used quite frequently by uh, physicians. Um, but uh, we'll see. I, I would suspect that there'll be some settlement resolution uh, in, an, in the near term after that uh, one bellwether trial. And next one's scheduled, and uh, next trial is going to be scheduled in uh, a couple more months. Gotcha. Jim, uh, one, uh, one last drug I wanted to ask you about mm-hmm. is uh, Avandia. There seem to be links between diabetes and, and Avandia, uh, heart attacks, heart failure, and other cardiovascular problems. Can you... Talk yeah, a little so bit about that. Be happy to. Avandia is a major drug uh, claim. It's been uh, at the forefront for a period of time. People are still uh, marketing for uh, patients who have suffered uh, from this drug. Uh, it's been challenged over and over again. Um, it was only recently when it was pulled off the marketplace. Ironically, the first country to pull it out was Saudi Arabia, and that, that it was that was only probably because they have a very um, noted uh, consultant, health consultant, Dr. Larry Sasage, who was with Public Citizens before he went to act as a consultant to the Saudi Arabian government. But these claims are uh, are very significant. The company has paid out billions of dollars uh, to date, uh, and they plan on paying some more billions of dollars before it's all over. Um, the first major trial uh, was scheduled just uh, a week ago, uh, maybe like 10 days now. Um, they got into maybe one or two days max, and uh, the defendants raised the uh, white flag 
and they negotiated a resolution of their uh, various claims, and they had quite a batch of, of, of claims. This is a GSK product. That's a British uh, pharmaceutical company. Uh, clearly dangerous, um, to, used for type 2 diabetes, um, like Actos, which is a similar drug made by Takeda Pharmacy, which is a Japanese company, but didn't have all the problems that this one did. But Avania can cause congestive heart failure, stroke, death, heart attack, um, a serious drug with serious problems, and uh, the company seems to know that now and is anxious to try to get this passed. L- let, me, let me ask you a couple of questions about that, just as follow-ups. Number one, uh, you know, there's no question that type 2 diabetes is becoming a lot more prevalent in society, so it stands to reason that mo- a lot more people may be taking the drug. Uh, along the way to have these complications. Is, has there been any conversation about taking the drug off market? Or is this... Yes, yes. Well, this is now at the stage where they, they've taken it off. They were fighting that for a long time because it was so profitable. Uh, so many, uh, several billion dollars in profit per year. But yes, they are taken out of the marketplace. No one should be using a drug at this particular point good. in time. Not in our country anyway. Well, good news. You know, Jim, there's an important pending Supreme Court ruling on preemption regarding generic prescription drugs um, that's expected to come down in the first half of this year. All these brand-name drugs eventually have a generic version. Can you tell us about this? Well, uh, Anne-Marie, there are several uh, decisions that are due to come down from this session of the Supreme Court, which starts in the fall, and they they stop their session in June, mid to late June. Uh, But the current court is composed, as you probably know, of uh, quite a few conservative justices uh, and businesses having it to do, if you will. Uh, and one of the ways that um, they're, in my opinion, effectuating uh, change to the American landscape uh, in justice is their version of tort reform, and that is uh, the use of the doctrine of preemption, which it basically is uh, based on the supremacy clause of the uh, Constitution, which says that federal laws shall trump over state or local laws. Um, And simply put, uh, uh, they've issued several decisions over the last several years that favor the uh, manufacturer of medical devices, for example, over the consumer. now, they, uh, they did issue one decision just a couple of years ago, Wyeth uh, versus Levine, which uh, upheld uh, the rights of the consumer to proceed uh, in court with a state court type of claim, like for negligence or strict mm-hmm. liability, or one of the many that you can do. Um, and uh, they followed that with certain uh, decisions uh, in the Circuit Court of Appeals, the next level down, um, sustaining that theory when it came to generic uh, drug manufacturers as opposed to the major ones that go through this uh, testing and, and uh, at the front end. And I'd like to take this time, if we may, to take a, a minute to d- discuss the, a point that Larry made when we were opening the show, and that is, is that um, drugs and devices go through extensive testing uh, before they're introduced into the mar- marketplace because of FDA requirements. Yes. Uh, the, the truth of the matter is that uh, they do go through uh, sometimes extensive uh, clinical trials and tests, um, and they get what is known as a pre-market approval, where the FDA 
has them do certain trials and report back to them on certain questions they have, et cetera. But there's also a uh, provision in the law, which is like a grandfather clause, which says if your device uh, uh, is like one that are similar to one that you used before or that's in the public domain now, um, then we will give you an exemption from going through that rigorous testing. And as a result, uh, we'll give you, they call it technically a 510K approval. And in that case, they don't really go through all the testing that they need to under the pre-market approval. Um, but unfortunately, even with the pre-market approval, um, and due to lack of resources, uh, and uh, lack of dedication to, by the FDA to do what they should be doing to protect the American public. It, it always isn't the way you would think it would be, even though it has the uh, seal of good housekeeping from the FDA. Um, and things get approved that shouldn't be approved. And sometimes the manufacturers outright lie or hide or bury evidence, you know, and uh, that's a problem for for people. Well, I want to thank you for kind of clearing that up because a lot, a lot of the public, I don't think, really understands and knows the process by which FDA approves or doesn't approve a product. And, uh, and I know there's a, probably a lot more to it than what you even described, but it, at least it, uh, it's, not a, it's not a simple process for sure. You know, yep. before we wrap up, uh, I can't help it, but I've heard the president the other night on the State of the Union uh, where he made a comment about he was going to... Uh, look at medical malpractice tort reform. Uh, how did that hit you as a, as a practitioner in the, in the industry? Not well. Uh, President Obama, I happen to be a fan of President Obama's and uh, have been a supporter. Uh, however, uh, we were disappointed. I don't think President Obama uh, officially, even though he's a lawyer and a very good one, a very bright one, um, is necessarily a friend of the trial lawyers. Uh, and I say that from certain uh, which is which is not, not typical Democrat. Not typical yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think maybe for that reason, he wanted to steer clear and not be oh his soul to, and, <laughs> and, and and that may have been part of the thinking. But in these times, it's so partisan, and he needs to get some cooperation from the Republicans. So throwing who does he throw throwing him a bone, right? Yeah. And so uh, this is uh, something which is not good. If you although we don't do much of medical malpractice work, uh, we're familiar a lot of unjust situations that arise here. And that yeah. basically what they're doing is thinking of some concept such as the loser pays, which is a system like in Great Britain for litigation. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, there are some problems with that. I mean, because some people cannot afford to pay many of these people who are hurt and injured. So that's the kind of thing we're likely to see uh, is some sort of a compromise on federal uh, uh, tort reform for medical malpractice cases uh, wow. as part of a compromise. S sounds to me, Jim, like it's going to provide a lot more challenges for your own trade association to, to work with, the AAJ and others to, to, to work on. Uh, it's never an easy process, as you know, going through these uh, these political, political times. It's very challenging. Well, Jim, uh, very good uh, discussion. If anyone wanted to contact you, uh, how would they do that? Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to say so. Uh, well, we're office here in Newport Beach. Uh, our email is simple. It's my name, jcaprits at capritz.com. Easy to remember. Our, our phone number is 949-724-3000. And uh, we, we would appreciate hearing it, and we'd be happy to consult with people without any charge initially. No question. And I think, uh, obviously, if they went to the Internet, they could they could learn more about these these drugs and these these 
problems that they're having and then be able to contact you with leaving a little more information. Yes, we have a website, com. So Terrific, terrific. Anne-Marie, if someone wanted to talk to you or contact you, how would they do that? <laughs> um, they can call me at uh, 800-332-3401, and they can also find us on our brand-new website. Oh, yes. That's a, that's a, that's a whole new thing. We, Ringler Associates has a brand-new website, yes. which uh, we're rolling out uh, really at this meeting. Which we are, yeah. And uh, I know a lot of work has gone into that, so I think if you go to ringlerassociates.com to look for Anne Marie, uh, you're going to see maybe a brand new picture of Anne Marie. Well, maybe. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Well, you can find all Ringler Associates on ringlerassociates.com. And uh, if you want to listen to Ringler Radio and hear this conversation with uh, Jim, ringlerassociates.com, click on the link for Ringler Radio and or legaltalknetwork.com. And you can do the same there. You can even download it to your iPod, walk around uh, Newport Beach, and listen to uh, Jim Capritz on your uh, earphones. Isn't that pretty cool? <laughs> it is. Not exactly how it's stirring, but it's not <laughs> Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. All right. Well, thank you very much again. And for all you out there listening, have a great day. Thanks, Jim. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Anne-Marie. Thank you. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio. In its sixth year on Legal Talk Network with over a half a million listeners, Ringler Associates, where experience counts. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided the finest structured settlement services to all parties involved in physical injury claims. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by the life markets that issue structured settlement annuities, including Allstate, American General, Liberty Life, MetLife, New York Life, John Hancock, and Prudential.